All right, Mark 14, verses 3 through 11. And being in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she brake the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and had been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, Let her alone, why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work in me, for ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me ye have not always. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my head to the burying. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priests to betray him unto them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray him. And you may sit down. This morning I would like to conclude a message, a three-part message, which I've been calling Speaking God's Language. So the title for this morning's session, this morning's sermon would be Speaking God's Language, Part 3. And the emphasis of this message is living a life that will validate our love for God. It's so easy to say that we love God, but does our action, does our life, do our actions, the way we live our lives, does it validate what we say? Does it confirm what we say, or does it contradict what we say? When God observes our lives, is it obvious to him that we love him, or is he left in doubt? Not really quite sure. And the theme for these uh, three segments of this sermon, theme verse, was Mark 12, verse 30, two chapters earlier than the text we looked at today. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind. How can we show God our love with everything that we have? Now, I'm sure there are many ways that we can show God's love, show our love to God. And I've chosen to look at five ways. And these are the five ways of expressing love that Gary Chapman refers to as the love languages. And like I said before, this is not a list taken from the Bible. However, each of these ways is illustrated and taught in the Bible. So we could consider it biblical uh, teaching, although we don't see a, a list as such at any one place in the Bible. And just as God understands your native tongue, Whatever you grew up speaking, English, Spanish, German, whatever language it may have been, God understands your native language. God understands each of these languages in which we can express love. And not only does he understand each of these languages, but he desires to receive your love in each of these ways. Some of you who grew up speaking a certain language, if you're out of that setting, 
you get back into the setting where that language is spoken, it's like music to your ears. You just drink it in. You thrive it. You look forward to that. And I think God looks forward to receiving our expressions of love in each one of his ways. He is not looking for something partial. He is looking for something complete and total. So how can we love God completely? We looked at three of those ways in earlier messages. We looked at expressing our love to God through our words of praise to him. We looked at our love, expressing our love to God through the aspect of physical touch, some interesting uh, aspects there. In the last sermon, we looked at expressing our love for God through the quality time that we spend with him. This morning, I'd like to look at the last two, giving gifts and acts of service, and then spend the last portion of the uh, sermon just kind of concluding uh, this whole um, aspect here, this whole thought, and pooling it together. And I do apologize, we do not have an outline projected this morning. Uh, Apparently, the uh, connection with the projector here was damaged in a thunderstorm at some point, Uh, So I'll try to keep you with me as we go through this without the use of the projector this morning. So the first part, I'd like to look at the aspect of giving gifts as an expression of love. And the first point in this section is that God is a giver of gifts. Point A, God is a giver of gifts. God gives gifts to his people. We do not doubt that God is a giver of gifts. Several verses, Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 9 to 11, these are parallel verses to what Dave read in our devotions this morning from uh, Luke chapter 11, and uh, gives the illustration of if a son, if a child asks for something, you will try to give him something that will meet his needs. If your son comes in and says he's hungry, uh, can I have a sandwich, can I have some bread? You're not going to say, i go out in the driveway and pick up a stone and munch on that for a while. You wouldn't think of doing that. If he asked for some meat to eat, a fish or something, I'd go find a snake and chew on that. You give your son, your child, something that is good, something that will meet his needs. And the point in these verses is, if we as humans, imperfect humans, try to give what is good, how much more does our Father in heaven give good things to those that ask him? God is a giver of gifts. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, talks about people who are rich in this world. Paul, speaking to Timothy, says, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, that they do not trust in their riches, trust not in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Do we recognize that the things that we have ultimately come from God? You see, God is a giver of gifts. Uh, several subpoints under this aspect. God is a giver of gifts. What does God give us? Well, he gives us physical gifts. And if we would start naming physical things that God gives to us, there's almost no stopping point. Um, Several years ago, we heard someone give a challenge to make a list of a thousand things that you're thankful for. That seems like a lot of things. 
Uh, someone in our family was kind of intrigued with that idea, so they got a tablet and we started a list. Hundreds of things, hundreds after hundreds of things. You can think of all kinds of physical things that God gave to us that we can be thankful for. The world around us is full of them. Just open your eyes and you can see. There's nat the natural gifts. There's things like our families, our opportunities, our abilities, life itself. So he gives us physical gifts. Secondly, he gives us spiritual gifts. Sometimes we tend to focus perhaps on the physical things that God gives to us, but he gives us spiritual gifts. And I'd like to name just a few of the spiritual gifts that God gives to us. And again, where do we stop? The list can go on and on. But God gave us the gift of his son. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You see, this gift of God's Son was an expression of His love to us. God showed His love through the gift of His Son. We're looking at giving gifts as an expression of love. God gave His Son because He loves us, because He loves you and because He loves me. Ephesians 5.2 says, Even as Christ also hath loved us and hath given Himself for us. So God gave His Son... Christ gave himself. Why? Again, it's clear. Because he loved us. Even as Christ has loved us, he gave himself. So Christ's sacrifice is an expression of his love. God is a giver of gifts. He gives us physical gifts. He gives us spiritual gifts, including his son. He also gives us eternal life. Romans chapter 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. It's a gift that he gave to us. Now, why would God give us eternal life? What would inspire God to give us eternal life? When we think of who we are, when we think of our shortcomings, our fallacies, our sin, the only reason I can think of is because he loves us. He loves us so much, he wants to give us eternal life. A third thing that he gives us is a divine nature. He imparts onto us his nature. 2 Peter chapter 1, 3 and 4, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these things that God has given unto us, ye might be partakers of the divine nature. Many more gifts that God gives to us. He gives us his peace, Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He gives us joy. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, I think it is, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And like I said, the list could go on. He gives us physical gifts. He gives us spiritual gifts. And really, he gives us Everything that we have that is good. James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights. He gives us everything that we have that is good. God is a giver of gifts. The second point is that God desires to receive our gifts. 
You know, God is a giver of gifts. We do not doubt that. God desires to receive our gifts. We tend to forget that, that God actually wants to receive from us. Sometimes we act like it's a one-way street. You know, God owes us all these things, and here I am. Give me, give me this, Lord. Give me, give me that. The little song goes that we used to sing. But God wants to receive our gifts as well. Ephesians 5, 2 says, And walk in love. This is Paul's instructions, God's instructions through Paul to us. Even as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself. You see, our love should be illustrated the same way God's love is illustrated, by giving. And there are many verses that refer to this. Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the firstfruits of all thine increase. You see, giving back to God is a way to honor him, to show him our love, to show him that we love him. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6, and 8, 6 to 8. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves when you give to him. That stirs God's love when you give to him. God loves to receive from you. And this verse, these verses remind us that we are on a two-way street. It's not a one-way street. Uh, just before the, the part that I read there, it says, He that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. You see, God gives to us. God wants to receive from us. And then the, the verse after it, I find especially challenging. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound in every good work. You see, God gives to us, that's what it says, God is, makes all grace abound towards you so that when you have what you need, you may in turn abound onto every good work. God gives to us so that we can give back to him and so that we can give to others. I wonder sometimes, does God feel like giving up on us? It's like, well, I keep giving to him so that he can help others, but it just seems to stop there. Maybe I should give to someone else instead to see if they pass it on better. God loves to receive our gifts and to see us pass the gifts on to others. So God is a giver of gifts. God desires to receive our gifts. And thirdly, I'd ask a question, well, what should we give God? What should we give God? Well, in the first message, we talked about giving God the glory that he deserves, words of praise. In our last message, we talked about giving God our time, quality time. And I just read the verse from Proverbs chapter 3. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So you're supposed to simply give God whatever you have, whatever he gives you. Give him what you have. If you have a litter of puppies, give God a puppy. Never thought about it that God would enjoy a puppy. Well, you can give one of your puppies to God. Find ways to honor him through that. If you receive a paycheck, give God a check. If you make quilts, give God a quilt. You see, there's no end to the things that we can give God. 
Honor the Lord with thy substance, with the firstfruits of thine increase. And we could go down through a, a list again of many things that we can give to God. Our talents, our money, our obedience, our values, our lives. I would like to suggest that we should give to God everything that we have because everything we give him is a reminder that everything we have is already his. Now, maybe that's a little bit confusing. <laughs> we should give to God everything that we have because everything that we give him is a reminder that everything we have is already his. It reminds us that it's really his. And as we look at the things we should give to God, if we use anything we have in a way that does not draw us closer to God or in a way that does not bring glory to God, we are not giving it to God. If I have a dream, if I have a talent, if I have a vision, if I have an ability, and I use that or I pursue that in a way that does not bring glory to God in a way that is not drawing me or others closer to God, we are not giving that to God. Have you been giving God what he expects? I thought there was reminded this week of a story that Merv Lapp shared here as an illustration in a sermon before he moved to Trogger. Some of you may remember it, and I'm sure I don't have all the details the same as he gave, but the uh, the aspect of the illustration that he gave was about a father who was spending time with his son. Maybe they spent a day together doing something. And this dad knew that his son just loved French fries. There was no food that he enjoyed eating more than French fries. So he wanted to do something special for his son. So before the day was over, they stopped at McDonald's or somewhere. And the dad bought his son an extra large serving of French fries. And they sat down there, and they were just enjoying the time together, and the boy was just eating these French fries. And after a while, the dad reached over and said, may I have one of your French fries? And the boy, no, these are my French fries. Don't eat my French fries. Did that boy forget where the French fries came from? That every one of those French fries was provided by his dad, and yet he wanted to be so protective of them. How often... Does God feel that way? You know, he wants to give us something that we can enjoy. And then we become so protective. No, this is mine. Don't take what belongs to me. Do we forget where the things come from that we have? God desires our gifts. We need to give everything we have to him. like to just let that type of expression for God now, giving of gifts, and move on to another one, acts of service. And then we want to uh, conclude uh, this after a little bit. Are you willing to show your love for God by the things that you do for him? What are you willing to do for God? We heard this morning of opportunities to serve God uh, in Greece, for example. And I know many of you have been involved in that. And I appreciate your 
your concern for people that have needs, but also your way of expressing your love to God through your acts of service. That is an act of love. Are we willing to do that? I may have given the example here before, but I think back a number of years ago when I was a young person, I had just joined a youth group. And shortly after I joined the youth group, I came home from school one day and uh, got a phone call. Uh, the youth group was planning to go to somebody's home that evening and have a cottage meeting, an elderly person, and just spend some time in there and have some time of singing and sharing with that, with that person. And one of the youth leaders asked me if I would be willing to have devotions at the cottage meeting. And I just found that idea totally overwhelming. Me? Have devotions? This evening, I don't have any time to prepare. How can I do that? And uh, they, they gave me a suggested passage that I could read. I said, I, I'm sorry, I, that's just too much. I can't do that. I don't have time to get ready for something like that. So I, I told them I can't do it. And uh, a short time later, I went to the cottage meeting. And there was another young fellow there who read the passage of scripture that was given to me as a recommendation and led in prayer. And that was it. And I was smitten. And I thought, well, now what was so hard about that that I couldn't do that? I could not read a passage of scripture and lead in prayer. And I was, it, it hit me so hard that I felt, you know, our tendency sometimes when we're asked to do something, our default response is no, unless we can't find any way out of it. But really, our default response should be yes, unless there's some reason we cannot do it. Now, I realize that we can't do everything, and there are times when we need to say no. There's times I need to say no when there's opportunities in which I would love to be involved in. But what is our default response when we have an opportunity to serve? You've probably heard the little illustration about four people. And I'll say these were four church members. And their names were everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. And one time there was a job to be done in the church, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody would not do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. And I'm not saying that's a picture of our church. Don't take me wrong. But I'm giving that as an, a challenge. When there is something that can be done, are you going to be a somebody or a nobody? Too often, we just assume that somebody else will do it. We're just at the end of a Sunday school year. Many of you were willing to accept the responsibility of teaching in the coming year. And I appreciate that. God bless you in that. I know it's work. There's work involved. 
It's one way you can express your love to God through this act of service that you're doing. God bless you in that. What are some ways you can show your love for God by acts of service? Well, one of them, obviously, is in the church. Every church member, I believe, should be a contributor. You know, we tend to think of church as a place where we can go and receive, a place where we can go and be fed. And I certainly hope that is the case. But church is also a place where you need to look for opportunities to serve. I think every church member should ask himself, what do I have that I can give to the church? It doesn't matter if you're 15 years old or if you're 95 years old. You should be asking yourself, what do I have that I can give to the church? You may be able to serve on a committee. Maybe you're not able to serve on a committee. You can talk to visitors after church. You can make them feel welcome. You can be a host. You can take a meal to someone that's in need. Maybe you can um, look at the schedule each Sunday and see whose turn it is to be involved in church cleaning this week and think, well, you know, I think that family has a lot on them this week. I'd like to volunteer to take their place. I'm going to call them up and tell them I'll take their place. You can send a card or a text with some encouraging words. Pray. Don't be the everybody that thinks somebody will do it. Be the somebody that does it. So we can serve. We can show God our love through serving in the church. We can show God our love through serving in mission opportunities. Many of you have served in Greece. Many of you have served in Mountain View or Hillcrest or other places. And it's very interesting that as you give, you receive. Just look at the newsletters of people who are terminating their service and read their testimonies of blessings they received in being there. Young people, I think, again, it should be kind of an understood thing. You're going to spend some time somewhere in some voluntary service. Those of you who have, find it an experience that you would not want to give up in most cases. But not only for young people, for families as well. At this point, our church doesn't have very many families involved in missions, not as many as sometimes. Uh, maybe your family is the family that should go next. Consider that. We can serve in the church. We can serve in mission work. We can serve in the neighborhood. Mow somebody's lawn. Shovel some snow. Maybe there's someone that needs someone to give them a ride to the doctor. Fix something that's broken. Uh, some of you are involved in foster care, and you may not think about it, but this is a way that you can show your love to God. You see, God has blessed you so that you can serve others. And actually, when you receive someone into your home, you're receiving God. If you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. We can show our love in the home, serving others. Your mom asked you, would you, like, would you rather wash the dishes or sweep the floor? Look at her and say, I'd like to do both. Look for opportunities to serve. Surprise her. See what her reaction is. If you can't bring yourself to do something for your sibling, do it for God. Take up a job, an act of service. I'd like to conclude this whole thought of 
different ways we can express our love to God by looking at an example, the example of the woman mentioned in John or Mark 14 that um, Norman read here at the beginning of the message. And I'd also like to refer somewhat to John chapter 12. I think this is the same account in this passage. Uh, I think there were I think there were at least two different occasions where someone brought an alabaster box and anointed Jesus. But I think the occasion mentioned in, in John 12 is the same occasion in Mark as in Mark 14. And in this occasion, it specifically names Mary. Um, they were in Bethany. And in Luke, it says they were in a house, tells us whose house they were in. But in Mark, or in John, it tells us that Martha was serving. And I'm getting the idea here that maybe Martha was catering this meal. Jesus was in a home of Simon. Martha was there, perhaps catering a meal, serving the meal. And Mary comes with this ointment with which she anoints Jesus. Mary was a woman who loved Jesus. There are three times in the Gospels, three different specific incidents in which her name is mentioned, and in each of these occasions, she was found at the feet of Jesus. One of them was when Martha was busy serving in their own house. Where was Mary? She was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Another was when Lazarus was raised from the dead. When Jesus approached the town, Martha ran out to meet him. Martha said, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And then Martha went back to the house, told Mary that Jesus is coming. Mary ran out, and it specifically says that she fell at his feet. Again, she was at the feet of Jesus. She said the same thing. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have been died. And again, I wish I could hear their expression in both of their comments to Jesus. Was it accusing? If you would have been here, he would not have died. Was it worshiping? Lord, I know if you would have been here, he would not have died. I don't know what exactly the expression was, but I think Mary's was an expression of worship as she fell at his feet. And then the third occasion in John 12, when Mary was at the feet of Jesus, anointing him. And I'd like you to specifically notice how Mary expressed her love for Jesus. She anointed him with a pound of anointment, which was very expensive. What was she doing? She was giving him a gift. She was anointing his feet, and she was wiping them with her hair. How was she expressing her love? Through an act of service. She was wiping them with her hair. Notice the physical touch that was involved. Note the quality time as she sat at his feet, listening to his words. These were all an expression of her love. 
And while none of these passages specifically say that she was offering her words of praise, I think that's pretty much a given. We see Mary is a complete expression of total love every way she could. Now, as we look at this expression of love on the part of Mary, I would like us to consider three questions. Three questions for ourselves as we express our love to Jesus. And if you have your Bibles open yet to Mark chapter 14, you can refer to this as we look at these examples. The first question, how much is too much to give? Or maybe another way of saying it is, how much is enough? How much did this woman give? Mark 14 refers to a woman. Uh, John 12 refers to Mary. Now, the passage tells us here that this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 pence. Now, at a casual glance, 300 pence may not mean a whole lot to you. How much is 300 pence? Well, in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus told a story about a man who hired some laborers, and he offered them a penny for a day's labor. And if you read that passage, it's pretty obvious it was for 12, days, or for 12 hours of work, a 12-hour day, was worth one penny. And that seemed to be a fair wage, an acceptable wage. So let's consider one penny was a day's wage. This is talking about 300 pence. What does that mean in today's terms. This woman was giving something that was worth 312 hour days. What's that worth? Well, if you earn minimum wage, $7.25 an hour, 312 hour days would be worth $26,000. Is that too much to show your love for God? If you earn $15 an hour, 312-hour days would be over $54,000. If you earn $20 an hour, you should be smart enough to do your own math. How much is too much? Would you be willing to give a gift worth $25,000 or $50,000 or more? to show your love to God? You say, well, I can't afford it. I don't have it. So it's not a question if I'm willing, if I don't have it. I would venture to guess that Mary could not afford it either. She probably did not have that money to spend. I really doubt that that morning that Mary went out to Macy's store and browsed through the perfume section until she found this spikenard and shelled out $50,000 to take it along home with her. Some people speculate that this was probably a gift that was given to her, perhaps even an inheritance that she received. And if that's the case, this probably was the most precious possession that she owned. Probably worth more than anything else she had, probably possibly even worth more than her net worth. She gave it all to Jesus. This passage just tells us that there were some there. John mentions Judas specifically. Mark says there were some there 
that had indignation within themselves. So obviously it was more than one person. I don't want to be too hard on Martha, but I have to wonder if maybe she was a little bit ticked that Mary would give such a lavish gift to Jesus. Maybe Martha was hoping that someday she would benefit from this as well. Maybe she was hoping that Mary would cash this gift in and use it to finance a kitchen upgrade. I mean, just think how they could build their catering business. They could even use that to serve the poor. Maybe I'm reading too much into that. But Mary was willing to give the best she had to Jesus. How much is too much as an expression of love for God? What is the most valuable thing that you have? Think about that question. What is the most valuable thing that you have? Are you willing to give it to God as an expression of your love to him? Well, if we look at it from a financial standpoint, for some of us, the most valuable thing we own is our house, our home. And you say, yes, I've given my home to God. Well, that's great. I think everybody, when they buy a house, should dedicate it to God, should give it to God. But what if God tells you he wants you to sell his house? It is his if you gave it to him, right? What if he tells you that he wants you to sell his house and go somewhere else? Are you willing? Maybe it's a house you don't own yet. Maybe it's your dream house. Are you willing to give your dreams to God? Or is that too much? Is that too big of a test? You say, well, God, I I love you, but can I give you something else instead? What about your car? Are you willing to give that to God? Maybe your 16-year-old brother or maybe your brother's friend comes to you and says, you know, I need to take my driver's test. And I'm afraid the examiner will fail me on the spot if he sees the old fliver I'm driving. May I take your car? Maybe your neighbor says, you know, I just wrecked my car. It's in the shop for a week. I know you're going on vacation. May I borrow your car while you're going? Is that too much to give to God? I could mention a number of things. Your business. Your future. Are you willing to give that to God? We have our plans. We like to figure out the details. Decide where we're going to live, what we're going to do. Have you felt God nudging you to just turn that over to him? Is that asking too much? How great is your love? What about your family? We all have dreams for our children. What they should do. Where they should live. Who they should marry. Are we willing to give that to God? I'm talking about the most precious possessions you have. Your life. You see, God really wants nothing less, nothing less than everything. When Mary poured out this ointment, Jesus gave her words of commendation. And that's what he wants to give to you as you give the most valuable thing that you have to God. I'd like to ask a second question. First question, how much is too much? Second question, why do you follow Jesus? Why do you follow Jesus? Is it for what you can get out of it? 
or is it for what you can give to him? We've probably all heard that there are two kinds of people in life, the givers and the takers. You know, some people follow Jesus for what they can get out of it. We want eternal life instead of damnation. Honestly, that's a motivation for all of us, and there's nothing wrong with that motivation. But hopefully we follow God for more than just what we can get out of it. Some people follow God for social gain. You know, Chris was talking, is there a motivation to get baptized so that you can receive azalium, get admitted to some country? Do we follow Christ because it's the thing to do? And if I'm going to be accepted in my community, it's just what I need to do? Some follow Jesus because they love him so much, they just want to pour out their lives to him. And I see a contrast in this passage. Mary, Mary's relationship with Jesus was one in which she wanted to give everything she had. In contrast to that, verses 10 and 11, is Judas Iscariot who went out to betray Jesus. You see, Mary was a giver. Judas was a taker. And I really doubt at this point that Judas expected that his actions would lead to Jesus' death. I think rather Jesus, or Judas saw his relationship with Jesus as an opportunity for personal gain. I can imagine he was thinking, well, Jesus can take care of himself. Here, get out of this. He always has before. Meanwhile, I may as well get out of it what I can. There's an opportunity for gain here. Are you a Mary or are you a Judas? Are you in it for what you can give or are you in it for what you can get, what you can receive? A true love relationship seeks to give even as you receive. A third question I would like to ask, when is something wasted? Verse 4 says, there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of the ointment made? Something so valuable and you just poured it out and it's gone. What a waste. I did a little bit of study on that word. <clears throat> the definition is causing something to be cut off from that which could have or should have been. You see, Judas's perspective and the other's perspective here was this ointment could have been sold. It should have been sold, they thought. Instead, it was poured out. It was wasted. You see, that which should have been done was not done. It was a waste. When is something wasted? I would like to emphasize this morning that when you give something to God, it is not wasted. Anything you give to God is not wasted. That which you, tend, which you try to save for yourself is really what is wasted. Judas looked at this and he said, what a waste. There's something very interesting about this. In John chapter 17, Jesus referred to Judas as the son of perdition. What does perdition mean? It's not a word we use very often. In the Greek, the word that Jesus used for perdition is the identical word that Judas used when he said, what a waste. Judas looked at Mary 
And he said, what a waste. Jesus looked at Judas and he said, what a waste. Judas said, you are wasting your substance. Jesus looked at Judas and he said, you're wasting your life. Jesus looked at the life of Judas and he saw that which could have been. He saw that which should have been. But it wasn't. And Jesus said, what a waste. He called him the son of perdition, the son of waste. What an epitaph to be called the son of waste. A wasted life, so far removed from that which could have been and should have been. You know, this morning, we will be found on one side or the other of this word waste. If you're on the side in which you pour out everything you have to God, the world is going to look at you and say, what a waste. All that money, just think of all the empires you could have built, all the pleasure you could have had, all the things you could have done, but you wasted it. You just poured it out. You gave it away. On the other side, there will be those who try to save things for themselves. And God looks at your life, at what could have been and what should have been, and he says, what a waste. Which side of the word are you found? Someone that is pouring out your substance for God or someone that is wasting your life? Just think about your past week. Was it a waste? Was it what it should have been? What it could have been? Look back over the last 10, 20, 30 years of your life. Think about what could have been. Did your life measure up to what could have been? But the real question is, not the past 10 years, the question is the year ahead of you, the week ahead of you, the day ahead of you. What are you going to do with today? What are you going to do with the things you have today? Are you willing to pour them out for God. As for me and my house, I wish to serve the Lord. I'm challenged by the testimony of a young man who lives a number of years ago, and again, it's an illustration you've probably heard before. A young man by the name of William Borden, and if I remember right, he was an only son, and he was the obvious heir to his father's estate, the Borden Company. It was a big company. And his father was looking forward to building this estate and turning it over to his son, William, to carry it on further and carry on the family business. Well, in his youth, William became a Christian. He became a Christian that fully dedicated his life to God. And he felt God calling him to the mission field. He called, felt God calling him to overseas missions. His parents were very displeased with this decision. They said, son, you're wasting your life. You've got everything falling into your lap and you're just throwing it away. You're going to throw it out. What a waste. During this time, William said, this is what God is calling me to do. This is what I want to do. And in the back of his Bible, he wrote two words. 
And those words were no reserves. In other words, I'm not going to keep everything for myself. I'm going to give it all to God. It was difficult. He received a lot of opposition. But the time came when he was scheduled to leave. He got in a ship. He started sailing across the ocean. And during that trip, he had lots of time of meditation. And again, he wrote two words in his Bible. Under the words, no reserves, he wrote, no return. My mind is made up. I'm going to go all the way for God. His ship landed in port. He went on board, and this was still kind of a transitional phase in his life, in his, in his journey. He wasn't yet at his final destination. He wasn't there long until he became sick with a local disease. And as that disease was ravaging his body, he became sicker and sicker to the point where he realized that he's not going to get better. And he's probably going to die, which he eventually did. But before he died, he wrote two more words in his Bible. Those words were no regrets. You see, at that point in his life, he looked back. He looked back on what some people would have said, what a waste. You had all this opportunity. You threw it away and you're dying. It was a total waste. William looked back and said, what I have I gave to God, and I have no regrets. To God, it was not wasted. How much do you love God? How much is too much when it comes to expressing your love for God? You know, sometimes God has a way of putting his finger on some pretty sensitive areas of our life. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus, Jesus touched a sensitive spot in his life. The rich young ruler said, I don't want to waste my possessions. He went away sorrowing. And probably Jesus said, what a waste. So far from what could have been. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. We'd like to kneel for prayer. And we invite those who care to to join us. Father, as we bow before you this morning, first of all, we want to thank you for your great love to us. Thank you for the expression of your love in so many ways. What you gave to us poured out your life, your son. Father, thank you for your desire to spend time with us. Thank you for touching our lives in a very personal way. Lord, we see an opportunity to just express this love back to you. And I pray that we would be willing to pour our lives out on the altar. And waste them on our own personal ambitions and dreams and self-love. Lord, may you speak to us and lead us into your will for your honor and glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.